Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nemity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy by Trustark. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. On 24 February 2022, the world as we thought we knew it changed once again. Barely recovered from the corona pandemic for the first time in decades, a European country was invaded by a neighbor. Modern warfare is, however, not just about soldiers and weapons, but also very much fought online. Last week, Microsoft published a report outlining the relentless and destructive Russian cyber attacks they've observed in a hybrid war against Ukraine and what they have done to help protect Ukrainian people and organizations. Our guest today, Victoria Beckman, leads Microsoft's Digital Crimes Unit for the Americas and has an extensive background in privacy and cybersecurity. She is joining us to discuss the importance of cybersecurity, what organizations can do to protect themselves, the Ukraine report, and also how the field of cybersecurity has been developing in recent years. Victoria has been named Cybersecurity Woman of the Year 2020 by Law Professional, Rising Star 2021 by Minority Corporate Council Association, and currently figures in the top 50 of cybersecurity influencers as identified by Angetica. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So as we welcome Victoria on the webinar, or excuse me, on the podcast. uh, You are going to say that you are very excited. Yes, but we were already diving in right into talking and chit-chatting and catching up. And Paul's like, would y'all like me to turn the microphone on? So I am absolutely delighted to introduce all of y'all to one of my absolute most favorite law students of all time. And all the rest of y'all that are law students, y'all never heard me say that. So. I love Victoria. She (laughs) truly, truly is. And she has had a career that is beyond imagination for pretty much all of us. And she actually wound up rotating into a career field that actually lined up with mine, which was so interesting because neither one of us were headed there to begin with. So, Victoria, thank you for joining us. And are you ready for the unexpected question? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) that's an honest answer (laughs) i'm not sure but thanks for the invitation i'm delighted to be here and i think i can favorite she's not willing to say she has to say one of them but i know i know where i stand yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i I have a feeling you're talking about one of our mutual friends so i'm just gonna let that one go Okay, this is funny. For the first time ever, y'all know that I get the questions from a book. Well, what you don't know is I, well, you probably do know I look for them while Paul does his introduction, but it's not always the one that I open the page to, but this one it's going to be because I want to hear Victoria's answer. When was Uh-oh. the last time you worked out? A Sunday, actually. Wow. Yes, I... That was tried. anticlimactic. Right. Yeah, that wasn't that much fun. I... I 
travel a lot, but when I don't travel, I try to do CrossFit. It started about five years ago, mostly for my mental health to kind of <laughs> be able to, to express all my <laughs> rage. <laughs> I don't even know who you are anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm old. Paul, don't shock me here. It depends on your definition of workout. If you mean going to the gym, that was probably about a year ago because I've never gone back since they reopened after COVID. That's still on my to-do list and I've never managed yet. But I did take an extensive bike ride on Friday morning, getting back from staying over at friends and, and biking home. Nice. Okay, so if we go by the definition of workout, I would probably say somewhere around five years ago, maybe, kind of, sort of. If we go by the definition of get out and get purposeful activity to be active, we're going to say about five years ago. <laughs> and when you include lugging, um, slapping luggage around airports. Okay, that, that one was just a couple of weeks ago, which I actually saw Victoria there. So I, I want you to describe your job because I think this is something that most people would not intuitively understand. Because, you know, when last you and I really spoke, you were at the law firm before you moved into this one. So I want you to describe your job a little bit before we dive into this Microsoft report. Okay. Well, my job is the best job in the world. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that, that's not possible because Kay and I already have those. <laughs> okay. The third one, fourth <laughs> one, maybe. But I lead the digital crimes unit for the Americas region. So basically the Western Hemisphere. And we are divided, the world for us is divided into Americas, Asia Pacific, and Europe and the Middle East. So there are three of us, all women, which is great. Nice. And, and so we have a team, I have a team of several attorneys in different countries that I cover, investigators, analysts, engineers, project managers, and we're one out of six teams that Microsoft has for just cybersecurity. So what we do is we're kind of pre-attacks. We're monitoring our own systems, our cloud, for any, any threats, any, any vulnerabilities that are being exploited. And then once we find something, let's say one of my investigators in Peru finds some, some sort of, of gang of malware or something like that, then we will go, we will do a review if it's worth it. We will look at patterns. We will do this, this really in-depth investigation. And then we, the attorneys have the function of figuring out how we can legally dismantle and deter this, this gang in this case. So we tried civil actions through court orders and things like that, but the laws haven't evolved as much as the cyber crimes. So there mm -hmm. are not many legal options for us to say, you know, they're, they're doing, I don't know, malware, ransomware. We look for administrative ways. And a lot of times the only solution is to do a criminal referral to a governmental agency, but we work with them to, to show them what we have, what evidence we have, and they work with FBI, Interpol, Europol, so that they can go ahead and do the prosecution and sometimes arrest these people. And then all the information that we gather from all that monitoring goes to our product uh, team, 
and they implement those as security features of our products. So if we find out that there is a vulnerability that is being exploited, we let them know so that they can change that and they can tell our customers. And then obviously, because we work with governmental agencies and, and a lot of our customers are, are governments of different countries, we also work with them to train them to work on best practices, potential legislation for best practices. So anything that has to do with cybersecurity in a way. I never noticed, I never realized that Microsoft was doing that as well. And I think I'm not the only one. Right. Yeah. And we, there is actually in the whole world is about 8,500 of us. And it's, it's obviously a free service. And as far as I know, we're the only company that is doing that, that has teams dedicated just to provide this cybersecurity to make sure that we generate trust in our customers so they can use our products. And, and we also sign agreements with different public and private entities to exchange information so that right. we can give them feeds of all these type of things and they can give us this feedback that is all used for, for improvement. So I guess it makes sense that you that you monitor your own networks for intruders and for malware activity going on and cyber criminal activity going on that could make you as a company vulnerable or even make your customers vulnerable. But wasn't it difficult when you started doing all this work to also convince law enforcement authorities of your good motives and to to find a partnership with them? Or was it frowned upon in the beginning that you were acting as a private police force? Because that's also one way that you might be able to look at it. Well, uh, I mean, there have been predecessors in my job. So if there was any animosity in the beginning, they dealt with it. But, but, but we, and that's why we have so many attorneys in the team, because that exchange of information is obviously done within, within the legal requirements. So, for example, we have one of the teams is called Lens Law Enforcement Request. And is, is the team that answers any requests that law enforcement may have. So if, if the police in Brazil contacts us and says, we, we know that there is this activity going on, we're not going to hand the information. They have to, you know, file a request, show that they have a, a court order or whatever is the case, a subpoena, only in very extreme circumstances that they can prove. You know, if, if there is a risk of losing lives or something like that, we may be able to collaborate. And, and, and similarly with investigations, when we do criminal referrals, these reports are mostly informational patterns, information of, of behavior that we have seen. But even if we were able to do attribution, we're not going to say, you know, K Royal is this accurate thing because K is our customer. And she provided us the information as a customer, and we have responsibilities with her to to give her information. So it's all done that way, which is also why we can, you know, be easier if we could just be like, "Hey, we have this information. You give us this, and it'll be." But these operations take a long, long time because we have to figure that out. We have to. These operations are global, and so we have to actually engage outside counsel in all kinds of countries to make sure we're not violating uh, privacy laws or even other laws uh, that we don't have liability. For example, we do 
malware, like botnet takedowns. And we can just say, we're going to go take down all these because we think they're bad actors. We have to request a court order, request permission, make sure that we don't have any obligations, any risk that we may be sued for doing something like that. And I know that I talked and joked about you and I moving into a same area, but it's not really the same area. You may have been counsel with a law firm in the area of privacy because there's not a whole lot of security laws out there. But not every privacy person could morph into a job like yours. So tell us how you're qualified for this, because I find that <laughs> intimately fascinating. Maybe I'm not qualified. Shh, uh, don't say that. Don't say that. Well, a, a little secret, or actually a well-known secret, is that my undergrad was actually in engineering, industrial engineering, and I did a kind of a, a minor, you would call it, in information systems. So I had that technical background and at least the curiosity to, to learn about those systems. I came into the privacy world because I moved the states from Arizona to Ohio. There's a long history in between. But when I moved, I wanted to be a public defender, which is what I was doing in Arizona and where my heart is and will always be probably. But it wasn't that easy to find a job as a public defender. I found a job at a law firm and within the, the, the first month, a case came that involved a hacker. The Interpol was already involved. Forensic reports were already done and the firm was very small. And they said, well, you're an, an engineer. You probably understand this. And when I read it, I did not understand anything. <laughs> I was like, I'm in trouble. I have no idea what this means. But I realized that it was a, a topic that I liked and that if I was going to have to work at a law firm, which I didn't like, no specific law firm in general, the law firm structure just wasn't for me, then I figured, well, at least I'm doing, I, I can do something that I enjoy. And so I started this, this whole process of just trying to learn, trying to learn about privacy, trying to learn, but I, I always had the tendency to like more the cybersecurity aspect of right. it. And, and so I shifted a little bit more towards that at the firm. And then when I came over to Microsoft, they said pretty much, you know, you're in charge of cybersecurity, no privacy. I still, just because I'm a nerd, I still like privacy and talk about it every once in a while. But, but my main function and my role is, is concentrated towards cyber crimes and cybersecurity. Very interesting. So all of y'all, all of y'all out there who think you want Victoria's job, there, there, there's your career road path. There is, is get a degree in engineering, transition to the United States from Columbia, learn English. Yeah, learn English, go into law school, start working in a law, or start being a, a public defender, and then morph your way into a law firm in privacy and cybersecurity. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I'm glad that you say that because I get a lot of you know, calls or, or people who want to get in, into this, women, I'm a yeah. big advocate for women or minorities getting into, into this field. And that's one of the things that I always said. It, my career wasn't linear. Half of it was not even planned. And, and, and I'm here. So that means that you don't have to follow this. You don't have to work at a law firm. You don't have to have X certification. You can do it. Anyone can make yeah. it. 
and you can make the shift as long as you like it, read about it and are into it. Anyone can do it. Exactly. They, they can, but let's, let's all acknowledge here that Victoria is pretty fantastic. And it's also what they say, right? Life is what happens to you while making other plans. And it's actually true. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's move over to talking about the report. Paul, did you have a particular question about the report? Well, again, I was surprised seeing a report like this from uh, a company like Microsoft. I would indeed have expected uh, more state-led authorities to to issue these kind of reports. But if I look at what you are, are monitoring, 237 operations against Ukraine just starting before the uh, the invasion, and then details like in the third week of invasion, a state actor stole data from a nuclear safety organization weeks after Russian military units began capturing nuclear power plants, or somebody pretending to be a resident of Mariupol falsely accusing Ukraine's government of abandoning Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian citizens. These are pretty big issues in this this misinformation war that we've seen, the cyber war, the hybrid war, as you call it in the report, and as more and more people are, are starting to refer to it. It's pretty scary stuff. How How does a report like this come about? Well, we have a similar report that is not necessarily concentrated in Ukraine that we publish every year, and it's called a digital defense report. It comes out in, in October, and it has, it has statistics as to the countries that are the most attacked, the countries that we're seeing are doing the attacking per region. And we actually, in the last one, we even identified per, it, there was a kind of a chapter for Russia, for Iran, or North Korea. And so it's kind of the same. And it comes out of the fact that we analyze 23 trillion signals a day in our coming into our cloud or our network. So we can generate these statistics. Then uh, this is for obviously people way beyond my pay grade that they actually made the decision to, to side I guess with with one side or the other, I I think I think it's it's surprising not just for you but for a lot of people. I think it it, it is the first time. So whether you uh, agree or disagree, it is you know kind of weird. Well, it's also for the first time that we see actual cyber warfare by a country invading another. I mean, we've right. seen cyber warfare taking place for years by state actors like the countries that you that you named, both against governments and against uh, private companies. I recall the, the Sony data breach by North Korea. This is the first time since the 1940s that one European country invaded the other and using all the modern technology that we have today. Right. And looking at the report, I just pulled up the report that you mentioned, the, the 2021 report, which was the last one because y'all put it out in October. And it's interesting because I can see in 2021 some of the statistics that y'all leveraged or disclosed to us when you built the specific report for the Ukraine. So even back in 20, uh, so the report was June 2020 to June 2021. So the next one will end next month and then we'll see that in October. And even one of the nation state threat charts that they put in here about the most targeted countries, and I saw this in the Ukraine report as well was clearly no one is shocked that United States is the largest targeted country. It's 46%. But the second was the Ukraine at 
And you see this, this diagram both in both reports. And so it makes me wonder when you started seeing this, and I know you say that other people put the report together, but you might have gotten this question before. When y'all saw this, when you started looking at the um, statistics uh, for the report, did y'all go, ooh, something must be happening in the Ukraine? Because that 19% when all of the others, there's only one other that's double digit and it's other. So that's a lot of countries moved together. Everyone else is 9% or less. So did, did it tweak something? Say, we might start want to start looking at this or now in hindsight, you're like, wow, now we might have a new metric to be able to predict when a country might be gearing up for war. Well, you know, without necessarily disclosing or, or commenting on decisions that I, I didn't make, and I don't know the reasoning behind it, we did see the Ukraine, and, and it was, as you mentioned, early on, and we see it in, in other teams working in disinformation campaigns and things of that nature. In fact, some of the disinformation, like the RT, website was uh, taken down in December before even this started. I think with Ukraine specifically, the activity has been seen since 2004 when the Crimea invasion. Okay. And, and, and the report and overall is pretty obvious that the report shows also the political situation globally. So there are the, the United States is the most attacked. North Korea pretty much only attacks the United States because they don't necessarily have interest. When there are invest by China in, in other countries, then you start seeing China attacking countries in Latin America, for example, that were not targets before. So I think, I think it's, it is definitely a reflection of what's going on. Right. Right. Is there anything an individual or an organization can do when you are being targeted by state actors? Well, normally, if, if they work with us, you know, if there are customers, we, that's what we work for, to try to tell them in advance. In fact, we have some programs. One of the programs that Mike manages is called the CTIP, Cyber Threat Intelligence Program. And it's something that we, that we sign with, with government organizations and and it's basically this exchange of information program where they have a, a direct feed to the activity in their websites way before we release anything. So by the time that on Tuesdays, Microsoft releases this, this kind of updates, they already know. We already warn them. We give them indicators of compromise. And so, so yes, they, you know, if it's like someone like me being attacked, I don't. I don't think uh, anyone is going to come and help me, but. Well, they might. They might now. No, I don't know. But, but we do. We do. Uh, and that's part of our work as well to try to, to work with governmental organizations so that they can get that information. But most importantly, that they know how to read and what to do with the information. Because right. in some countries, for example, the Latin America portion that I cover Adoption to the cloud has been very slow. So we oh, can interesting. We can give them information because the attacks are being done on premise. On premise, so right. We don't have that information. Or we provide information about certain things and the people working there don't have the training or the knowledge to know how to read it or what to do, how to di digest it. So 
So there are ways that we can help, but we definitely have to collaborate. You've got your constraints in place. Yeah. So just to let y'all know, and we'll give y'all the link to both the the digital defense report as well as the overview of Russia's cyber attack activity in Ukraine. But I think it's interesting that in the nation state threats that the most targeted sectors of the report was 48% government, 31% NGOs and think tanks. So credit calling infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is what China is trying to protect with their new PIPL. Basically, yeah. Absolutely. And then they talk about how the supply chain IoT and OT security operational technology have been treated in isolation, but that security needs to take a holistic report. So they talk about 20 million devices where the number of devices found to use the default password admin. How, how many years have we been telling people change the default passwords on routers and everything? But if I change it to one, two, three, four, that's fine, right? Yeah, just don't change right. it to monkey. Yeah, just don't change it to monkey. Yeah, that I, I'm glad that you bring that up because every time I see this chart, I am shocked all over again. Because every single year, every yeah. single year, and it's hard to believe. And then I see it again, and like, no, this cannot be happening because, <laughs> as you see, it's admin, admin one, administrator, if. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, My husband and I, when we did a podcast episode just on random things, one of the random things we went through were the most popular passwords. Monkey is always on the list. I still don't understand that one. But yeah, apparently so. But now this was one thing also in the hybrid workforce security. They talk about phishing is responsible for almost 70 percent of data breaches. Um, and basic security hygiene still protects against 98% of, of attacks. But then when you go to the Ukraine report, there is a metric in there that talked about some of the most successful attacks were phishing attacks, getting into individuals working in Ukraine's government and uh, critical infrastructure. Yeah. I, you say that like it surprises you, Kate. I just have to get the information out there. I'm not surprised, but I'm still, on some level, I maintain a little bit of surprise of, seriously, don't we know this by now? I, I, I From the positive side, I am glad to see that you still have so much confidence in humanity. and, and <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's the same feedback I give. I get about this thingy between the U.S. and, and the EU about my optimism here. But yeah, yeah right. Okay. Someone is going to keep yeah. <laughs> see the silver lining. Exactly. Yes. I mean, uh, there is nothing to do for human error. You know, that's also part of what we do. And a yeah. lot of other organizations do is, is training and cyber, like awareness of cybersecurity and some of the very easy things to do that you don't have to necessarily buy millions and millions of dollars in, in some firewall. I mean, you should right. if you're a big company, but, but, but even something like the password is, is something very simple. Having multi-factor authentication in your phone and your, and your tablet, things like that, that are not really costly and that could help a lot. But if we tied it to something that people liked, for example, if we said, if you change your password, you can access Facebook, people <laughs> would probably change their password. Or if we said every time that you successfully don't click on a phishing campaign, we will give you an extra five minutes to go goof off on social media. 
people would probably do it. So what I'm in a very crude way coming around to is it's about motivating people to care. I I will do all kinds of crazy things for cookies or ice cream. So I agree. <laughs> so, <laughs> I will change my password every every hour. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah. It is one thing that I that I at least try when I'm giving these talks or trainings is to bring this to reality because I think it is still the idea of people thinking of cybersecurity or even these nation state attacks as something out there, something kind of in the movies or for very highly sophisticated companies or systems. But if you bring it down to that, to your social media accounts, to your bank account, to your mom, you know, my mom called me like terrified because she needed to like change something in her Netflix account. And I go, well, do you have a Netflix account? And she's like, oh, I don't. I was like, so why were you about to give them your banking information if you don't even have an account? But sometimes <laughs> like, it's so easy to think something is real that those basic questions, you don't even realize it. They put you in a sense of urgency. That's one of the defining characteristics they is put this you in sense of urgency. And, yeah. Well, and one funny thing, uh, now that I'm, I mentioned my mom, I love your mom and I've never met her, but I love her. (laughs) To their credit, we also did, we we generated tons of reports throughout the year. We did one on technical support fraud last year as well. And the the population that gets their victims is actually millennials. Those between those ages, we attributed to the fact that millennials are always connected, are so used to doing everything, multitask and everything that it's not necessarily the the older generation or the baby boomers that are being victimized. It's, it's that age range. I don't even know where millennials are because I feel super old, but that are kind of like, yeah, I'm used to paying these online or receiving this. Or... Yeah, it's not unusual for me to click on a link to do so-and-so and I'm doing 50 things at one time. I don't stop to think about any one particular one of them because it's automation. Or I'm just doing it very quickly on my phone during my commute, so I'm not paying as much attention and security controls are lower on my phone than they are on my computer. Absolutely. Wow, we all just had a very, it sucked the air out of our very existences going. (laughs) Yeah, this is turning to a very somber moment. (laughs) So Victoria, to to the extent possible, can you tell us what you are working on right now? Well, overall... We we have we said for the year kind of the initiatives that we're going to work on and and I should say for our fiscal year that is about to end on uh, June thirtieth. So and July first, I know that there are new initiatives coming and some are getting you know just shut up. But for now, we have kind of our pillars of what kinds of cyber crimes we're dealing with. So we are big and malware. We have done, I'm going to say, maybe close to 24 malware operations in the last 10 years. We did the most recent one was against a Z loader where we actually name a defendant. It was about a, a month and a half. We're always do, working on ransomware, technical support fraud, as I mentioned, business email compromise, supply chain attacks. And I'm one that is actually going to another team that we did up to this year was online child exploitation. And that's that's going to be going to another team and we're going to do something. Nice. 
Busy year, it sounds. <laughs> I'm pulling up that complaint against Z Loader so we can put it in the description for our listeners. But with that, so Victoria, we could have talked about a million and one things. We probably only touched on about 800,000. But was there anything that you wanted to make sure that you could share with our listeners when we asked you to come on? And I've only been asking you for a year, so I'll leave that alone. <laughs> Are they going to send a petition to have me more often? Because Yes, absolutely. That. Awesome. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll actually share the story of, of how we actually met, other than just you being one of my favorite law Maybe students. I will do the, the, like the Spanish version, like the, Ooh. the translation as you. <laughs> Oh, see, see. <laughs> no say, no say. I don't know. Was that right or wrong? Mm. Yeah, that was good. Well, I mean, there are so many things I want to say, but <laughs> Sp- Spanish but, with the Southern uh, accent, I've been told just doesn't work. Oh, I want to hear I, that now. Yeah. <laughs> well, one that, that there are a lot of us out there trying to fight this fight uh, that is real, that is very, very yeah. real, that it can have more consequences than an actual physical war. I mean, a, a lot of lives can be lost through yeah. a, a cyber attack. And I, I obviously cannot end the podcast without, again, giving a plug for women to get into this field and minorities and Latinas and Latinos because we need more of them. We need more of a different perspectives. And, yeah. and it can be done. I mean, Ivan ended up here. And he was- yep. Well, thank you very much for coming on this week. It's great having you on after hearing so much about from Kay that you really should be our guest. So I'm happy we got this opportunity. <laughs> Paul's like, oh God, another one of those. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I am I am glad and I have to say I, I think I was just really scared to be to be in this podcast. Because I know it's a it's a great podcast. I know how much you guys know <laughs> I've been in presentations with Kate or that Kate has given. So it's, it's a thing. It's, it's, it's scary. I was like, what are they going to ask me? <laughs> well, let, let's also say it. I was going to write this back to your assistant when she wrote yesterday, asking more of what we were going to ask is, okay, she likes to be ultra prepared and ultra organized. This is not going to be anything that's going to test her on anything. Tell her to chill. Right, right. I'm not supposed to say this out loud. Kay is never prepared for podcasts, so <laughs> I read the report. <laughs> Just it <now>. is true. <laughs> That's fine. I I don't know, and and I still, you know, I met Kay as my law school professor, so I still kind of. Oh, her dad. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel she like still she's has that me. that thought in her head that I actually yes. know what I'm talking about. I so. still have nightmares of being called on and not knowing the answer in law school. So. <laughs> <laughs> but just for the record, and for others who may have the same impression as you, are you still scared of coming on? And next time, would you recommend it to others? Is it is it okay oh, yeah. coming no, on? No, <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. Now I'm like, I wasted my, my time for a year trying to <laughs> get out of it. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, how often can I be in this podcast? <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll remind you to, to tag that bit of audio and send it to all future guests that may have done it. Yes. And, yes. and with that, thank you for everybody uh, for listening to another episode of Serious Privacy. If you like our series, please do tell your friends and colleagues about us, rate and review our episodes. 
in your favorite podcast app or on your favorite podcast platform. And should you have any questions or suggestions, please reach out to us via Serious Privacy at TrustArc.com or info at SeriousPrivacy.eu, via Twitter at, at @PodcastPrivacy, or you find us on LinkedIn. Just look for Serious Privacy. You will find Kay on Twitter as Heart of Privacy and myself as Europol B. Until next week, goodbye. Bye, y'all. Bye. That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because they're... Deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central. Seriously, one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me and Paul if you have any questions. <laughs>